I actually haven't even been to the States. Uh, mm-hmm. I've only spent time obviously where I grew up in Australia and in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels a little bit in terms of the strike and so on, it feels a little bit, um, it, it's not so much an issue here. It's not mm-hmm. an, obviously not in the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting place to be in that sense. Is this a benefit for you guys? Since if America's <laughs> not making movies, Europe should now take over and like just dominate, take the whole Potentially, market. I mean, cinema was was kind of started in Europe, right? And um, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> because I'm because I'm very much focused on making my own stuff. I'm um, I'm kind of out of the, you know, I'm not dealing with bigger production companies and so on. So I'm a little bit out of the loop in terms of the the bigger mm-hmm. budget stuff. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, within my network and community, I'm not hearing about the the striking stuff at all over mm-hmm. here. Oh, wild. Yeah, I live in Los Angeles and Hollywood, so it's wild here. You see all these actors with pickets walking up and down saying, we want no AI, please. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is fair. I guess yeah. I, I don't want to get replaced by AI either. So no, if I was if 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 I was in LA, I'd be I'd be out there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does it worry you? Um, it did at first. It did initially, but I've grappled with it a lot since then, and I've basically come to the realization that um, AI, no matter how hard it tries, can't replicate personal human stories. Let's go. It can, it can get close, I think, mm-hmm. but in terms of uh, what's unique to all of us and our own personal stories, it can't it can't offer the perspective that we have given our experiences. Okay, yeah, Let's that's do it. true. So the writers, <laughs> the writers have nothing to worry about. <laughs> they should, should stop. stop complaining, Ali. Right? <laughs> yeah, stop being yeah. little kids. Stop complaining about your little problems. Just keep producing. <laughs> no, I'm of course. No. Yeah, yeah, I think I think just hold on to the faith in your own personal experience and stories. Mm-hmm. We're all on we're all on individual and unique journeys, and we've all come from different um, different experiences. And 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 I just firmly believe that people will crave that. Um, and uh, yeah, as much I'll, as I'll tell you what AI might be good at, maybe making the next you know Thor movie or something like that. No offense to Thor, but. Like making the next generic blockbuster movie, maybe I can do that really good, you know, take all the what could make you really excited and make a cool script. But if you're talking yeah. about something unique, like a unique story that gives you a unique point of view, by definition, I can't do that because it's not in the it's not in the database. Exactly. You know? Yeah. You know, Ali, do it as you. I think it's an important word that you use uh, the database. So the, the fact that there's a database that exists for the AI to look at means that someone had to create this database for the AI to look at. Someone mm-hmm. had to create something for them to study and analyze, to learn from. The AI is not going to create something from scratch. Oops, my bad. Uh, they're not going to create something from scratch. They're going to have to watch someone else do something brand new and invent something. And then they can be like, okay, let me study this, analyze it, and create it. So even if they do want to make the next Thor blockbuster, someone created Thor. And it's mm. not that someone was a, was a human being. Mm-hmm. AI is not going to make Thor by itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. I think it's like it's like when I you know when I go and watch a band or I go and watch a movie. There's that other that I'm trying to connect with, and I mean, 
f- from bands, you know, you go, I'd go see a band and so I, I know I, I used to think if I was kind of tuned out for the gig, they kind of lost me in some way. But if I was like very present and focused on the band, they had that, that thing that I was looking for, that experience that I was looking for, that thing that's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen, doesn't happen very often, but it can happen with so many different uh, artistic mediums. And that's that thing which is kind of undescribable is what I don't believe no matter how close AI gets to kind of replicating humans. Um, I don't think it can give us that. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong when it becomes like the ultimate supercomputer <laughs> that, that, that has, that has a conscious, you know, the question mm-hmm. I think is, is does it have a soul? Does it have a conscious? Mm-hmm. And um you know who knows how far it's going to go so well, that's a different discussion then if it develops a soul or a conscience i don't think it's ai anymore uh, mm-hmm. then you'll have a debate of like is this is, this it, is person it a being yeah. yeah exactly is, is sentient? it a sentient yeah, being? yeah yeah that would be a movie that could <laughs> that's a movie, a movie it's been done blade runner dude yeah, yeah exactly man yeah it's uh for me the best part of the creative process is definitely like doing the hard thing to finally get to the creative thing, you know, like me and my friends, we like do a long hike walk and then get all our instruments, get to a room. By the time we get there and set up, then it's all set. We did all the hard work. Now we just jam, you know, or like me and Saeed, we do all this work, getting guests, doing the editing, preparing for the pod. And then now we're here and we just jam, you know, Mm. and uh, you can't do that with AI really. Now, and this instant gratification, I think, I think there's yeah. a lot, I think with technology and stuff, there's a lot of element of the craft being lost. And it's like, mm-hmm. what, what's, what's wrong with the joy of, of making something mm-hmm. like, you know, you see all this stuff on YouTube, like you can learn friggin' piano without learning piano. It's like, <laughs> what, why would I, why would I want to do, why would I want to do that? Like instantly just be able to play something without, you know, this, this, I'm a firm believer in craft and, you know, the kind of 10,000 hours thing and all that. And it's just as much as the technology can benefit us and we can do awesome things like this, uh, which is really cool. It's like, it's just this instant uh, micro, you know, micro attention spans and instant gratification, but also to things like learning stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you say, what's the joy is in the jamming. The joy is in, is in the process um, and trying to eliminate that process to the point where it barely exists. You know, what's the point? Yeah. Wow. The jamming is important. And so based, so we're talking about crafts and creativity and the arts something that i feel like maybe could be useful for the arts well it is useful for the arts is lucid dreaming so i I wanted Mm. to ask you daniel like have you ever tried lucid dreaming yourself and like has it been useful or have dreams in general been useful for your craft that's an awesome question man i used to love the film uh waking life is it waking life i think that's about yeah yeah, that the animation about about lucid mm-hmm. dreaming. I was fascinated in the, in the um, can't remember what it's called, but the fact that when you're in a dream, there's certain things that you can do to realize you're in the in the dream. Yeah, I haven't I haven't experienced that, but I've tried to be very conscious of of dreams and um and and take notes and then and 
and try and uh, let them inform me, particularly creatively. But for me, it's not so much a dream. It's when stuff comes to me in the middle of the night, which is a, can be a bit of a pain sometimes because I'll do my, you know, I'll sit there trying to force it in the day and, and nothing will come creatively. And then in the middle of the night, I'll be hit by something. And now I actually ensure that I like get up and at least like take a note, even if I'm like sleepwalking. Um, so the dreams, the dreams I am going to start to, to, to monitor a bit more. I think I, I've heard of it used in particularly characters and stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I've just realized recently that if that call it, that creative, whatever decides to come at three, 12 AM on a Tuesday night, uh, there might be something in that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Cause like, especially at night, maybe for the create for creative people, they get these ideas because they are the least distracted. So it's like, you know how dogs at night are just more aware of the noises <laughs> around them because <laughs> their senses are not uh, blocked out or during the like, like in during the day with all the car sounds and all that. So at night they can hear everything and they can see more and know. So maybe for creatives, it's, it's kind of the same thing. They're less distracted. So their senses are more activated and more aware. So they're more in, and at that point they're more in tune with like their brain waves or like whatever's going on in their heads, their their thoughts and shit. Yeah, so, for sure. And trying to trying to tap into the subconscious somehow. Um, yeah. And there's just so much distraction in the day. Uh, yeah, perhaps perhaps it is the the best time. Obviously, people's arcadian rhythms and stuff are different. Um, I tend to like be productive more in the morning. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Ali, man, I love that you're wearing a martial arts top. Have you, have you, have you, uh, have you studied yourself? Have you practiced? Is yes. That... <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Well, that was a few belts ago. Let's not talk about it. But I need to update the photo. <laughs> Life's good, man. What am I going to say? Cause it's so funny because I have this martial arts school. And then right in front of us, there's the actor's studio. And I'm into, I'm into filmmaking and acting and such. But I always find it interesting that most actors in their classes, they just sit there and there's only like two actors that go up and they do the, mm. the practice sets while everyone else sits down and waits. Versus in martial arts, we're all <laughs> training and learning the whole time. You know? I think yeah. for acting, like, you really, it's a cool thing to learn different skills as opposed to just learning the method of acting, you know? I think it could be more valuable. What do you think? For me, when I was training here in Germany, it was pretty wild because uh, um, it was really crazy, actually, because I'd come to, to Germany when my son was about to be born here. I had zero German. I was doing birthing classes in German <laughs> with my partner at the time. And then I was, I was going to acting class afterwards in German. And it was a complete mind spin. Um, but the thing about the acting class was I found it so valuable to spend so much time observing, mm. just like you say, when there's two people up the front, it was an exercise in, in observation a lot of the time. And gotcha. then obviously, obviously that five or 10 minutes where I was up there in the class, um, you know, to throw down, that was different, but the rest, it was, I got so much out of just observing in a really condensed period of time and also because there's been a language barrier here in germany mm -hmm. 
it's made me use other uh, instinctual muscles, particularly on set, because I've literally been on film sets that are being directed in German with very little German. I also was a little bit, um, uh, call it courageous slash silly in terms of (laughs) (laughs) throwing myself into auditions with no German into German auditions and actually thinking that I had it like I was going to have a chance of of (laughs) landing something. You know, and the the more I got to know German society, it's quite risk adverse here. And obviously film production is potentially risk adverse too, depending on the type of project, uh, especially when money is involved. So um, I was literally going into German auditions and just like not only bombing in the audition, if it had perhaps been in English, but bombing the German massively. And um, I had to, after a while, I I, I had to kind of stop putting myself through it and kind of find some other, um, some angles. (laughs) So uh, what's the difference between the German acting scene and the Australian acting scene from your point of view? Well, the classic thing is I've uh, I've only ever done one um, short film in Australia. All the work I've done has been in Europe. It's really crazy. Yeah, because I pursued, I returned to my, call it, filmmaking acting journey uh, when I came to Germany, which was 10 years ago. Um, I I knew it was something I wanted to do as a kid and I I went away from it. Um, Obviously, I was in bands and that was fulfilling me as a performer, but I didn't pursue it seriously until I came to, um, to Germany. So it's a real... It's a real dream of mine, actually, to go and do a job in Australia because I, I have only experienced European sets. You speak English. You'd fit in so perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be taking, you know, putting the wings on and flying off in Australia, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so cool. But in Europe, where did you get to, to work? In England and uh, Germany and such? What's uh, the difference? The- yeah. Yeah, I've done, so I've obviously in Hamburg here, I've done, a, I, I did it in the early days, I did a, a heck of a lot of extra work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, for me, for me, it was like film school um, mm-hmm. because I just spent, I spent hundreds of hours again, observing and being on sets that were predominantly in German. Um, and mm-hmm. I was just patiently sitting there observing and then that led to me getting some smaller bit parts and stuff through the agent I was with. Um, so yeah, lots of work in Germany. I've traveled a bit too. I've shot in Southern France. Um, uh, wow. that's about it. Yeah. That's about it really. It's, um, re- I've had just had really kind of, where am I? How did I get here? Moments, particularly on German, <laughs> particularly on German f- film sets, like being on like they they love cribbies here, right? They call them cribbies, the crime shows. They mm-hmm. they just they just have a massive like fascination with crime shows, and uh, every every second thing I was going on was like a crime show, and um um yeah, they just they just for some reason they put all the money into these these crime shows that's interesting yeah. part of the culture yeah exactly mm. it's like it's <laughs> weird that they're into violence uh, i mean i guess it, it resonates with their history maybe that's why 
Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe the detective solving stuff. It's um. Every culture uh, has something different they're into, you know, comes in waves and such too, you know? I, it, I, I often talk about the, the kind of German idiosyncrasies of being here because Australia and Germany are polar opposites, right? Uh, Australians, are, we're dry, sarcastic, overly friendly sometimes. Germans, the prick can be pretty cold, direct, <laughs> and, and there's very little, very little, very little sarcasm. Mm -hmm. um, and just speaking of like public bombing, like every day here, I basically still to this day, 10 years in bomb in public, like I bomb at the grocery store and for what you can either let that beach down or you can embrace it. And now that I've learned to embrace it in terms of navigating the language, you know, mm -hmm. um, now that I just embrace it and, and I'm not so concerned about getting it, getting it right. And I just throw it down. It's actually, it's really helped me as an artist um, because it's like literally just, it's it's like doing mini stand up out there every every day and just falling flat on my face most days, you know? <laughs> to one of the harshest audiences, right? No, yeah. Dude, abs absolutely. You, you need a very thick skin. Very, mm -hmm. very thick skin. Yeah. How is the stand up comedy scene in Germany? Like, have you watched it's it? almost non-existent i mean in berlin <laughs> i mean there is i'm still yet i'm still yet to laugh i'm still yet to laugh at any german comedy that i've seen um it feels very it feels very contrived and it's like always trying to to like i'm not i'm not bagging it it's just it's well i am really <laughs> No, it just seems very formulated and contrived. They just don't have what the Brits, the Brits or the Aussies, mm -hmm. or, or you know, you guys have. Totally. Um, they, they they try very hard, but I'm yet to see anything that's really, really captured me in terms of in terms of the comical stuff. <laughs> yeah, I feel like sense of humor just goes over their head. Like I try with this one German friend of mine when we're playing poker, and I was telling him about. Like we were talking about bathroom stalls and how like, you know, transsexuals are using both bathrooms and shit. And and then I was just like, I said a joke about it and he he thought I was being offensive. I was like, bro, no, no, I'm 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 saying a joke. I'm saying a joke. And then he He's went being on sarcastic. And, yeah, yeah. I was trying to be sarcastic, <laughs> and he just continued on. He changed the topic and started talking about explaining this whole situation of how cubicles are supposed to be shaped and structure and i was like <laughs> welcome to my world man welcome to my world how, how do you live with these people <laughs> welcome to my world the amount of uh blanks blank stares i've had uh and it and it's it's innocent on the german side of things they take things yeah. very mm -hmm. very li literally which also has its benefits because you know in australia we're always like yeah, nice to meet you, man. We'll catch up. We'll have a beer, whatever. And it, it, you know, it's not going to happen, right? Here, here, they don't say it unless unless they mean it. But the number of times I've found myself in uh, in these situations, you know, the, actually, just a quick one. The, the the first job I had in an office here, um, the only thing I knew how to say in German was "Happy Birthday," which was. <laughs> 
alles Gute zum Geburtstag. <laughs> and the boss, the boss in the office, I'd been working there a few months and he still thought I was from New Zealand, right? <laughs> he was very, he was very skeptical of me. Like he was just, he, he was watching me like a hawk. And anyway, the first Friday in the office, uh, there was 12 colleagues and only one spoke English. There was basically zero English in the office. And I, uh, a colleague walked past my desk with a, with a cake and I, nobody invited me into the kitchen, but I was like, oh, this is, um, this is my chance to impress everyone with the only German I have, which is happy birthday, right? <laughs> so I walk into the kitchen and they're all in a circle around the cake and I go, alles Gute zum Geburtstag. And then my colleague whispers to me, she's like, she's been fired. And I'm like, I'm like, if she's been fired, why did she bring a cake, you know? <laughs> and the colleague's like, oh, she wanted to say goodbye to, uh, to everyone. And so I'm just all the blank faces staring at me and pr pretty much my, my, my job didn't last long after that either. <laughs> <laughs> to bring a cake on the way out, though. That's confusing. Yeah, that exactly. Is Really is, really is. <laughs> I feel like that's the equivalent of getting a cake to a funeral, or something like that. It could be. It could be. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a positive approach, but yeah, I just assumed it was a birth. I just assumed it was a birthday cake. There's a big cake. Look, there's a huge thing on cakes here, right? They, um, you know, when it's your birthday, you you have to bring a cake into the office. It's almost like punishment for getting old or something. It's like if it's your if it's your birthday, people should make a cake for you, you know? Yeah, totally. Get you a cake. Now you bring your own cake to your own firing. Jeez. Put in, put in the effort to get the attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Daniel, can you do any uh, impressions and such? Or accents or voices? Uh, impressions are not so much my... Um my thing mm -hmm. i mean i've been exposed to this whole other language here um uh you know impressions are definitely not my strong not my strength gotcha i was just wondering you? and you're acting versatile <laughs> i wish dude that's what i'm trying to get to i really <laughs> well i was hoping to learn from you honestly but i gotta <laughs> learn, just learn otherwise yeah exactly I, w I think it's fun. I think it's fun to get to learn all the different accents and to speak in them and to do characters and voices, especially on this podcasting thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, uh, and the thing is, the thing is um, there's really not a huge practical need for an Australian accent, particularly in German, right? <laughs> so my, my accent has been, been uh, I, I think it's less now um, the longer I've been in Europe, but it, often people can't. Uh, can't tell where I'm from. They think I'm British or, um, um, but yeah, the, the, I used, I used to speak, you know, Aussies, we, we speak very much in the nose. Like, Hey, yeah, mate, it's all, it's all high in the nose. And the Germans are very like deep in the bowel. Mm -hmm. And so I've I feel that my, my voice has dropped out of my nose a bit because when I first got here, you know, it was all, oh, how are you, you know, blah, blah, up, up high. And now it's, now it's a bit more fierce. <laughs> That's good. Well, you said you're doing auditions in German, so I assume you put on a German persona once you get walk in those audition rooms. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's when their heads explode. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> Daniel, how's how's your taste in movies changed once you moved to Europe? Did it change at all, or you still love the good old Hollywood movies? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's changed. I mean, there's the there's the films that I love through the test of time, regardless of what country I'm in. Um, yeah, I just I think the European, you know, cinema is still just really, really respected here. Like you go down the road and you, you still, there'll be a full cinema and that's really reassuring. So it's more about the cinematic experience, I think. Um, but yeah, I can reel off, reel off, uh, you know, my top fives, my top threes, all, all that sort of stuff. All right. Um, give, give us the list. <laughs> you have the list prepared so you can just hand them to us, but also about, let's do stuff more current too. That's uh but now more recently. That's a good point. Um, yeah. Yeah, recently. Well, go, going back a, a little bit, I always go back to Drive. I just mm. feel like it's um, the thing I love about Drive and uh, Nicholas Windy Griffin, the mm-hmm. Danish director, um, is the minimal minimal use of dialogue. And, you know, that Ryan Gosling's character in that film, he says so little but does so much. Um, and it's almost like a Greek fable, tragic hero's journey thing going on. But um, I'm just a, a huge fan of less dialogue, trying to find it through behavior. Isn't it uh, funny, though, um, that Ryan Gosling is now in Barbie, where he's mostly chatting, doing characters without actual any plot or anything. It's the complete yeah. inverse of Drive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. I haven't actually <laughs> se- I haven't. I haven't seen Barbie yet. Um <laughs> Oh, you guys, I haven't Why? seen Barbie, man. And I don't. You're a grown man. Why <laughs> <laughs> well, haven't you seen Barbie already? <laughs> I watched it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you think about it? Tell it's us, funny. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I thought it had a cool, funny, unique perspective. Yeah, I, I, I kept um, hearing that there was a lot of feminist propaganda in it. Yeah, but it's 2023, dude. Most look at most movies, dude. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Trying to block that shit. Yeah, out, man. it's funny. I like Ryan Gosling. He's really funny. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Moving on, Oppenheimer. <laughs> you see that one? <laughs> I was supposed to go see Oppenheimer, and I couldn't align with some friends, so I'm still yet to see it. But I'm very keen. Um, oh yeah. Obviously, Christopher Nolan. Um, but yeah, uh, the way the whale. Uh, that's a recent one, a fairly recent. Last the whale. One. Yeah that mm-hmm. that was. That Where you gained like awesome. eighty pounds to hundred pounds to how many pounds to be in a character? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Now that was a very moving uh, film, particularly as it was, you know, it's from a it's from a stage play and a, and and the whole thing's just set in a house. Like it was. Mm-hmm. That's the recent one that was pretty that hit me pretty cool, uh, pretty well. Yeah, I thought his acting was like so perfect in it, and mm. they really took the time and in one spot in one room to make it so interesting with all these cool shots and to tell this really cool story. And yeah, I definitely teared up. It was so like hard hitting, and you know, it's ama- it's amazing when that can be done in just mm-hmm. what, with you know one one house as opposed to like you said earlier, big, earlier big superhero movies or um, uh, you know, just. Uh, that's my thing. It's just like how how can we say a lot with very little? That's mm-hmm. that appeal that appeals to me as a as a filmmaker. What do you think is like the best part or like 
the best part of a human that can say the most of a human yeah um we're sticking to humans for now that's what we understand <laughs> at this point well like like i said er earlier just just personal point of view from our own life experience and philosophies you know how you can i just feel what i love about the character stuff is like i'm not the most technical technical actor when i'm doing acting work but um i have a lot of i have a lot of unique life experience to to, to kind of try and try and pull from um and that feeds a lot uh whenever i get the opportunity to 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 build a character the drawing from from the stuff that i've thrown myself into is 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 huge i think in terms of having all that in your toolbox ideally you want you know all of it to embrace as much of the technical stuff as well but um yeah i just personally try to tap into stuff i've experienced so you used to be in a band um how does that play into like character development and yeah so i it's interesting because i initially uh worked in architecture and then um architecture didn't it just didn't it just didn't fulfill me in a creative way it was far more corporate than i than i had imagined which is the reality of the industry and i kind of wish somebody had told me that in university that like realistically <laughs> realistically you're going to get out of uni and you're going to be drawing toilets for for the first two years and then you'll graduate from drawing toilets to drawing stairs um you know and then but then a job will come in and they'll need the toilet guy back so they'll throw you back on the toilets you know so uh, i've i've worked with some amazing architects on some amazing projects but for me personally the corporate nature of it was just um was was just not aligned with what i was trying to do anyway uh i was i kind of burnt out i was doing a lot um playing in bands working full-time uh all that at once kind of crashed and burned and realized I had to take a dramatic left turn. And, um, my, my band in Melbourne at the time in one night on a dance floor, after a show, we just looked at each other, each other and said, Hey, why don't we take this to London? And within three months we'd left everything behind. We had our instruments on a, on a boat and we were, we were off to London to do our first, first show. So I had this, um, I had this three-year experience in London. You're, you're in London at the moment, right? Yeah. So you, yeah. yeah. So I, I had three years there and um, it was it, it, it was a ride, basically. It was a wild ride. It just had all these ups and downs and it was a really, really unique experience just devoting myself to, to rehearsing and playing shows in this three-piece three piece rock band. Um, but in answer to your question, it... Um, it informed me so much as an artist, like it was kind of like theater for me. Yeah. And again, being on stage and, and the moments where things went wrong and dealing with, with those things in the moment or dealing with um, the crowd and the, any number of variables that, that got thrown at you on any given night doing shows was really like theater to me because you had to, you had to sink or swing, swim, sorry. And there was, mm -hmm. um, so much preparation uh and you know when the shows came off they were they were awesome like when it came together yeah but when things went south they went really 
<laughs> really south. <laughs> um, but that being on stage and being collaborating with a band and trying to make that whole relationship work has just informed informed my uh, my filmmaking and my acting uh, in so many ways. So being in a band, you said you mentioned there was a lot of ups and downs in London. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like being in a band and having ups and downs. I mean, could you share a bit about it? What's what happened, oh, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, London, London I found it's a, it's a place where like, it's not a lot of middle, right? You're either you're either in a job that's paying really well and you're living well, or you're like you're broke and you're like struggling. There's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of middle ground there. So as musicians with very little money, it was quite grueling. It was a lot, quite a quite just the hustle, the hustle of getting our our gear around on on public transport because you just can't drive everything to gigs and all that. So um, the schlepping the gear around on the train you know, like drums over shoulders and stuff, trying to get to shows that that was a whole thing in itself. Uh, then obviously in the venues, because they know it's hard to get all the gear there, they, they provide the back lines, but often mm -hmm. the back lines, you know, the back lines of the drums have been belted for five years straight every night of the week. And they're like held together with bits of tape and stuff. So um, a lot of the logistics, the logistical side of it was pretty grueling. But then the whole band relationship side of it, um, you know, you're rehearsing together, you're doing shows together. There's so many stories throughout histories of bands not being able to hold their um, their their relationship together. But I was going through my own personal growth and dealing with a lot of stuff. It was bringing up a lot of stuff for me um, personally. It was confronting me with all this stuff that... that um, just being on stages and everything and what we were doing was was helping me address all this other stuff that I needed to. So it was a really intense time, you know, working on myself and doing these shows and like um, it was kind of without saying it sounding cliche, it was kind of a find yourself, you know. Yeah. It was a I was pretty lost before that and this was like a, a real find yourself um, few years. Yeah. It it's a it's a journey. I mean you, these these are the lessons that you just learn from and they they might not necessarily show you like this is my path and this is where I'm supposed to be but they can probably like teach you a few things and like shed some light on other careers or other paths that maybe this is where you should be this is where you should go yes you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. And I, I, you know, my ego side of it was I'm going to go to London and be a rock star and be in the biggest <laughs> band in the world. Uh, that was all the, that was all the ego stuff, but actually uh, what it offered me w was the complete opposite. And as a result of that experience, I ended up in it with a family in Germany. Mm -hmm. So if somebody had said, which is so much more rewarding, like obviously I would have loved, I would have loved the, 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 the band to take off and get a huge record deal and all that. But the reality was very different. There was nothing, nothing glamorous about it whatsoever. Um, but at exactly as you say, say what it, uh, what it offered me and what it, what it, what it ended up giving me was, was so much more valuable. And in hindsight, it's just, it's pretty crazy and random how stuff works out. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Daniel, why are you in Europe as opposed to being in Australia, your hometown? I'm primarily here for my son. He's mm -hmm. 10. Um, so in London, I met his mother um, and she introduced me to, to... I was very fascinated with, with uh, Germany, actually. I was really fast. I'd been to Berlin and I, there was like an arts thing and it was just really cool. So I was, I was curious to, um, to, to Germany, particularly as London was kind of beating us down mm. in a way like dodgy promoters, the, the hustle, like I've said, I went to Berlin for the first time and there was like this positivity and this appreciation for the, for, for the arts and for bands and stuff. I actually tried to get the guys to, to kind of relocate there, but they weren't into it anyway. Um, my uh my ex now the mother of my child introduced me to hamburg and i grooved here with hamburg even more because of the beatles history uh the reaper barn you guys have got to come over like it's 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 really <laughs> it's really an awesome awesome uh city that i find hard to describe but for me like the rock and roll side of it i i really grooved with with Hamburg. And when my son was born here, it's, it's lucky that it was a city I wanted to build a life in, um, that had its own challenges, obviously, especially as I had just stepped into another new, new career, I'd, I'd stepped towards filmmaking mm -hmm. and acting. Um, but my son is my primary reason for, for being here. No, I'm definitely interested in visiting Germany soon. Cause like Berlin has always been, uh, attractive for me you know it's just i don't know just, i had some sort of fascination and i also i love their football and and i mean they're just there's like you said there's a, a certain inspiration and in the arts and the creativity that they have there and the music i'm definitely into techno music so it's like it's <laughs> it's, it's just like out there yeah no it's it's a fascinating place. There's a thing there. There's a thing there that I've, that I've, that if you tap into it, it's very cool, but it's hard to, it's hard again to define or describe what it is. It's just this thing. And every time I think I, this is Berlin, every time I think I know it and I go down there, I discover something else. Like, cause I've, I've spent a fair bit of time there and I'm like, Oh, I'm getting familiar with this town now. And I'm sort of the type of bloke that's, if I get too familiar with a place, I get a little bit itchy. You know, I want to kind of move. Obviously, my family's um, keeping me stable here. But uh, every time I go to Berlin, I just have a completely different experience or discover something new down there. Um, yeah, you kind of got to experience it to, to, to get it, I think. Yeah. But Daniel, so when I hear Germany and music, the thing that pops in my head is like techno music, as Said was saying, or like, you know, the techno raves uh what do you uh have you had to the chance to experience those scenes what do you think about them oh yeah yeah the electro the electro stuff the minimal electro stuff it was never really my thing but i've developed an appreciation for it not not the hard like burkine <laughs> have you heard of the burkine it's like one of the no. biggest clubs in the oh, okay God. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is it is it the one where you have to come and dress in like where you like specific colors and then you were it's very hard to get in and all that shit. it's very secretive how you get into the place there's a lot of rumors there's a lot of rumors about how how you get into the place i tried once 
And what I love about the place actually is they they reject B grade celebrities and stuff like reality TV. They reject if they see you like a reality TV star, you're out. Like you won't get in, which I think is awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I I tried once, and the classic thing was they had one bouncer who is as huge. He's a mountain. He's like seven <laughs> foot tall. He's like three four hundred pounds. And then they had another bouncer next to him who was a little guy, a little short, short guy. And I got to the front and uh, they looked at me and I, and I was like, listen, guys, I, I wouldn't normally um, make it up, but I was like, listen, guys, I've come from Australia just for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I've come all the way from Australia just, you know, I, and I would just love to get into the, the Burkine. And the big guy, the mountain guy, he's like, did you really? He's like, that's, that's fascinating. And then he's like, now, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) What do you need to do? What do you need to do? I had heard, I've heard, there's a lot of stuff online. I've heard rumors, you know, walking in naked, walking in all all sorts of stuff. I got, I've got no, no idea. I think they just, (laughs) Actually, it comes down to the non-superficial thing. Like I had no chance because I was just going, I was being a dickhead, right? So I think I think if they just, if there's no, nothing superficial, um, that that puts you in good stead. But I, I don't know. So I've never actually been in there, but that's a very hardcore, hardcore pumping techno place. But um, there used to be a club here in Hamburg where there was a bookcase. It's a nice cocktail bar and there's a bookcase and then at midnight a section of the bookcase would open <laughs> and you'd go you'd go through the bookcase down the stairs into like an underground electro club and i used i used to love that that place it like it's called it. gollum it's called it's gollum called, it's literally called gollum, gollum. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was thinking it's like a Harry Potter reference. Turns out, uh, no, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. You find Gandalf randomly walking around there that's like raving with his, with his white shirt. <laughs> he's not called Gandalf the White because he's dressed in white. He's like, it's just like he opens his jacket and it's like, there you go, that's all white. <laughs> Anything goes. Yeah, Anything right. goes. They only, let, they only let you in because you're from New Zealand. So that's the only, <laughs> the only way to get in. <laughs> I heard they're also like very open-minded about the you know drug community and just like if someone is like wasted as fuck they'll just like support them and help them out they won't kick them out of the club what what has blown me away here um and i've talked about this before but i think it's important it's just uh in australia i grew up um you know us australians and brits we drink like the world's ending right we drink (laughs) we we, like like we just drink like machines and when i was younger and and a teenager and going out and stuff if like if you said guys i need a break i'm not drinking you, you literally had to fight you know to to <laughs> to back up why you weren't gonna you weren't gonna drink anyway the clubs the clubs in melbourne a lot of security a lot of fights a lot of aggression and after three years in london you know london as I'm sure you're experiencing. So it's a very transient city. It's a very multicultural city. I Like in London, I met, I, like I remember getting there and meeting a woman who spoke like eight languages and that was pretty normal because she's European, you know, in Europe. And um, actually in the three years, even though I was having an intense experience, I didn't see a lot of like aggression. 
uh, mm-hmm. and stuff. I went back to Australia first weekend out in a bar. There's like a huge fight in the bar, <laughs> um, securities bounces. Then when I wanted to go back to Germany, I was trying to get into a bar in Melbourne and like security would just like not let me in for no reason whatsoever. I get to Germany, you can drink on the street and there's actually very minimal security anywhere, even in clubs. Right. And I was like, wow, this is kind of intense. Like this has got to be dangerous in terms of like no security. And I can tell you in the 10 years I've been here, this is in the early days, a lot of nights on the Reaper barn, the Reaper barn is a fairly extreme place in terms of anything goes in a kind of controlled way, but anything goes, if that makes sense. Even being down there, I've seen very little violence, very few fights. And I put it down to if you treat people like adults, <laughs> you give them you give them the responsibility, they won't throw the toys out the pram. So there's a different people because they're respected and allowed to make their own choices, yeah. they don't they don't have the need to push back. Um, and at the same time, if they feel they need to push back about something, they will. They won't just lie down. So um, I just love, and, you know, there's a lot of hanging out at the kiosks here, the little, like, you just go to a kiosk, buy a few beers, you just drink, drink on, the, on the street. And I think this is the European thing. Um, I, I love Australia, like best of both worlds. Australia is an amazing, beautiful country. Um, you know, my family, friends, it's, it's so friendly and such a warm, awesome place. Um, but in Europe, I just, I find a real sense of community, which I think is starting to get a little dis- disjointed um, just because it's old, really old in the, you know, the history. And um, What do you mean by disjointed? I just mean, I just mean, I don't, I don't find so much community, the aspect of just sitting at like sitting together as, you know, I was in Southern France last year and I was in a restaurant and everyone was sort of at different tables Mm. and just chiming in on each other's conversations, not intrusively, but like one guy would hear something and then he would give his thing over there. (laughs) No, no one was on their phones. No one was, there was no phones. Everyone was present. Everyone present is the word, yeah. and it it felt it felt like healthy commu- village mm-hmm. com- community community. It's like all of Europe yeah. has, has done therapy, and they're just hanging out around each other. You know, they're all adults, <laughs> and they're they've gone through their whole system thing. <laughs> I think so. But yeah, I think so. There's a real sense of, of who they are and what's important. Mm. I think. Um, yeah, so I just yeah, best of both worlds ideally, and I haven't even been to the states. Like I gotta, I gotta, uh, you know, you gotta I've come got over, of, man. Okay, yeah, exactly. I got a lot of friends, Woo! friends in LA. <laughs> what are you gonna do? How else? Are, you know, we got Disneyland right here. You gotta go to Disney. It's where dreams come true. <laughs> How else are your dreams gonna come true unless you come to Disney right here, Anaheim? <laughs> Your Mickey Mouse ears, yeah, exactly. You'll be fully the teacups. <laughs> the teacups. Have you been to the Disney? Ride those teacups. <laughs> I haven't been to Disney. No, if you're asking me, I'm asking both of you. Mm. No, I've I haven't been to America. You guys are both in like, isn't there's a Disney, there's a Euro Disney? Ah, uh, in France. And Ali, you're also yeah. like right there. Yeah, there's one right there. What, but you, you know what, mate? I hate monopolies, dude. I really hate. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I don't know. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> hey, can I ask, how did you guys meet? 
we'll I grew stumbled up in upon him in the bar, together. like we got into a fight and <laughs> What is this fake backstory, dude? We grew up in Lebanon, we went to the same middle school and high school. Bro, I don't know, I just came I just came from time. Australia, like I wanted to get to Wittenberg. <laughs> just trying to make up a story. The sarcasm's <laughs> hit those is high, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we just know you each gotta... other. Same school. You gotta watch. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, so you did. You grew up in Lebanon together. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Lebanon, Beirut, almost near Beirut. Ah, wow, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, yeah, amazing. You gotta come visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also have a lot of uh, fights in Lebanon. You know, mm. like that's how that's how we show each other love. Like that's the <laughs> the community community sharing that we have there. Not a lot of therapy going on there. So, yeah, actually, you might. In mm-hmm. my high school, there was we had we had a, a big Lebanese community, and in high mm-hmm. school there was a, a lot of fights, Lebanese like gang fights and stuff. See, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that I think of it, <laughs> in Australia, wow, the, yeah, the diaspora reaches far. Yeah, exactly. And we bring our aggression with us, bro. No, what, Jeez, no matter man. where we are. I apologize, yeah, for the aggression. I think it has to do with like trauma. Probably. So, mm. Don't be. <laughs> don't a lot be of PTSD. Too... Yes. Mm-hmm. Judgmental. I've had to work through a lot of the trauma, and now I'm much more free. You know, that's Probably how it be sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you think, Daniel? Where can uh, people find you and learn more about your book and your movies and your life? Uh, everything's everything's on my website uh, mm-hmm. at dan danthomas.net. That's the that's the hub of everything. Short films, a um, couple of podcasts. Um, yeah, all the projects. That's that's the hub of it. I'm I'm on social media. All of it's under Mister Mister Dan Thomas. Um, but yeah, very very much focused on on short films at the moment. I love love the medium. Um, so yeah, I'd love you guys to check it out. Best of luck. That sounds fun. We love the some of your shorts. We were talking about it, having a laugh about it, and it's interesting. Thanks, yeah, I appreciate appreciate you guys checking it out, what, guys. Can I just say what you're doing is awesome? Oh, yeah, squared. Oh, thank yeah. you. It's why do yeah, you think it's really so? Cool. Why do you think I just so? think you guys have an awesome dynamic, um, thank you. and bit of fun, you know. Like life's too serious to be taken seriously. Exactly. And and um, yeah, it's just all, I I know how much work goes into podcasting, and it's um, yeah, it's no it's no small feat. So just keep keep smashing it thank you brother let's do it side what do you think i just want to say be careful of which cubicle you look at when you're peeing man (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness (laughs) and this is is how we sign out thank you guys for watching don't forget to like share and subscribe peace